Today I've got a script for me. I don't usually, but today I do. The hands of God. That's what we're talking about today. Every week when we elevate the Torah, we make the declaration I talked about earlier. This is the Torah which God placed before the children of Israel according to the word of Adonai through the hand of Moses. But Moses was really the instrument of God's purposes. When we speak of the hand of Moses, by the way, we're not speaking of his palms and his fingers and his knuckles. We're speaking of him uh, as the agent of God's purpose in the world. God used Moses to bring the Torah to the people of Israel. But the scripture also speaks of the hands of God. Uh, we, we hear of the, the finger of God writing the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. We also remember when the Egyptian magicians cannot produce lice like Moses does. They can't produce life. The first of the plagues that involves producing new life, they can't do that. They could uh, maybe bring up frogs out of the Nile. That's different. But create new life, they couldn't do that. And they said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. So we hear in Scripture about the hand of God, about the finger of God. And the Haftorah, sometimes done uh, uh, at this time, for this Torah reading, there's a different Haftorah that we do when it's not in the midst of Hanukkah. We did a special one for Hanukkah today, but normally it's from Isaiah 66. And Isaiah 66 says, uh, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, that kol ela yadi asata v'yichyu kal ela. My hand created all these things, and thus these things came into being. So we can speak of the hand of God in, 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 in the creation of, uh, of, of the world. Uh, as we read in the Psalms, it says, uh, the sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. And in today's Haftorah, which Naomi read so beautifully, the mighty agency of God is again emphasized when he tells the exiles who are struggling to get the temple built, he tells them this. He says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says Adonai Tzavot, the Lord of hosts. If we claim to believe the Bible, then we must acknowledge that there are things that have happened. There are things that do happen. There are things that will happen that are purely the work of God. If we believe the Bible at all, we have to believe that God does things. You understand? Now, this may sound obvious, but we're surrounded by a worldview which says it's all right to have nice views about God, and, but people who believe that the Jewish God is really the highest creation of the Jewish people, and the Jewish people created God, in a sense, out of their genius. Uh-uh. That's not it. We serve a God who himself does things, if the Bible is true at all. If we claim to believe the Bible, we must acknowledge that there are things that have happened, that do happen, that will happen, that are purely the work of God, 
the God of Israel does things. So today, we're going to look at the hands of God, and uh, I want to examine three thoughts, just three here. First of all, we and all that is are the works of God's hands. That's thought number one. Thought number two, we are also in the hands of God. Does he ever bring calamity to teach us something or to redirect our paths? That's, that's an important question that needs to sink deeply into our hearts. God forbid you should come to Avatzion and be entertained and be titillated. No, no, no. We are here to worship God, and I am here to speak God's word to you as best I can. And we should take these things very seriously. If they're not true, then you're better off staying home and watching television. And I'm wasting your time. But if they are true, then we've got to think deeply about this. There's nothing in life that deserves deeper thought than God's word and God's will. So we're also in the hands of God. Does he ever bring calamity to teach us something or to redirect our paths? And finally, what does it mean for us to be the instruments of his will? What does it mean for you, for you, for you, for all of us, to be the hands of God in the world? This is not pious palaver. This is serious business. Well, we're not going to look at all three questions, because the first one I think we take as a given, that God created everything there is. So we'll acknowledge that God is the God of creation, okay? Uh, you know, when people have, I'm going to give you a little freebie here. When you're talking to people and they say they don't believe in miracles, let's say you're talking to a Jewish person and he says, you know, I don't believe in miracles. You say, well, you've got a problem. What do you mean I got a problem? I said, because for the very first, the very first verse in the Bible it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, if we don't believe in miracles, then we've got to throw the whole Torah out. Uh, and just don't play around with it. Because if you don't believe in miracles as a Jew, then you got a problem. And my father, may he rest in peace, did not believe in miracles. He didn't believe at all. His sister did not believe in miracles. I don't know about my grand... My, my grandfather was a very, very... Uh, he was a Haredi, an ultra-Orthodox Jew. I suppose he believed in miracles. I don't know about my grandmother. But my father and his sister did not believe in miracles. But if you don't believe in miracles, you've got to throw out Genesis verse 1. And you've got to throw out the story of Abraham. Because the Bible says that Abraham and Sarah, he was 100 and she was 90 when they gave birth to Isaac, and it says specifically that she had already been through menopause. So it was impossible. So this is serious business too. When we talk to Jewish people, the job, and to anybody, the job is not to show them that we're right and they're wrong. The job is to touch their hearts and cause them to seek after God. And this is a good challenge to use with people. If they reject the miraculous, you say to a Jewish person that, I, that it's, it's too bad because your whole identity as a Jew is therefore a fraud. And, and 
and the Torah needs to be thrown out because the very first verse of the Torah is a lie. So, we're going to look at these second questions. Does God ever bring calamity to teach us something or to redirect our paths? And what does it mean for us to be the hands of God? So, Joseph's brothers believed uh, that their calamity was the work of God. Let's see. I find today's Parsha may constitute the very first reference in Torah to this idea or to this consciousness of God being the source of calamity that touches our lives to get our attention and to change us in some way. I believe this story may be the first incident in the Bible that draws this connection. That's why I'm drawing it for you today. There is so much evidence that we could spend hours discussing it. It's all over the Bible. The whole book of Job uh, 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 deals with this issue. But let's focus on Genesis chapter 2, 42, which we were reading today. The first time Joseph's brothers go down to Egypt. That was read to us so nicely by Hannah. We might point out how it was the hand of God that elevated Joseph to a position of power in Egypt. And we would be right. We might point out that it was the hand of God that gave Joseph the wisdom to institute a public welfare program in Egypt that saved the lives of a whole fertile crescent. Uh, that's also true. Uh, we might point out that it was the hand of God that caused the famine to arise, which brought Joseph's brothers to come down to Egypt. And we'd be right about that. So in this list alone, we see there are some good things that, that are the hand of God, and there are some uncomfortable things that are also the hand of God. But let's not focus there. Instead, notice how Joseph puts his brothers through an ordeal, requiring of them that one of them, Shimon, Simeon, remains behind while the rest of them return to Canaan uh, in order to bring back Benjamin as proof that they are not spies. Here's what the text says again. Uh, when this happens, this, notice their conscience. They said to one another, Indeed, we are guilty concerning our brother inasmuch as we saw his heartfelt anguish when he pleaded with us and we paid no heed. They're talking about Joseph, who pleaded with them not to throw him into the pit to die. And then they sold him to Egypt. That is why this anguish has come upon us. Notice they draw the connection. We didn't listen to our, our brother's anguish, and now God has brought this to our doorstep. And Reuben spoke to them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy? But you would not listen. And his blood as well, behold, is being avenged. So, Later, when they're on the road, we read this too today, they find their money that they had paid for the food, which had to be a considerable sum of money. We're not talking about a meal. We're talking about a year's uh, provender or maybe more. Uh, they find their money in their sacks instead of back there in Egypt where it belongs. And what do they turn to one another and say? Mazot asa Elohim lanu. What is this? that God has done to us. Notice, they 
already this early in the spiritual story of the descendants of Jacob, there's a sense in which when unexpected calamity strikes, it just might be the hand of God. Now, I'm going to say this again in this sermon, but I've got to say it now. I don't want you to get it wrong. Job's friends believe that every time calamity strikes you, God is getting you. They were wrong. Sometimes stuff just happens. Sometimes calamity strikes you because you made stupid mistakes. Sometimes calamity strikes you because people are cruel. It's not always God. Is it sometimes God? Yes. But believe me, not always. And I'll say it again. Now, we might argue, Rabbi, it wasn't the hand of God that brought them through this. It was Joseph. And you would be right. And you'd also be wrong. Because God uses human agency as his hands to accomplish his will. Remember the quotation from the Torah service. It was God who placed the Torah before the children of Israel, but he did it through the hands of Moses, with Moses as his agent. And it is God who is disciplining the sons of Jacob through the instrumentality of Joseph. You understand? Okay, that's what I'm saying. Later in this Parsha, when they have already returned to Canaan and then come back bringing Benjamin, again, Isaiah returning home, the money has been hidden in their sacks again, as well as a special cup that, that uh, Joseph had, through which he says he did div- divination. Makes the cup very spooky in their sight. Their reaction to be apprehended again recognizes the intervention of God. This is what they say. God has uncovered the sin of your servants, Joseph, they don't know his name is Joseph. His name is Tzaphanah Paneach. Tzaphanah Paneach. Uh, God has uncovered the sin of your servants. Here we are. We are ready to be slaves to my Lord, both we and the one in whose hand the goblet was found. Again, they say, God, this calamity is from God. So have your way. So we see that one way the hand of God works is again that sometimes it works through bringing hardship of some kind as a means of causing our moral and spiritual reflection, our reform, and our transformation. I liken it sometimes that God will shoot, uh, shoot a, a cannonball across your bow. This is a, a maritime metaphor that when two ships are out there in wartime or whatever, for ship number one to warn ship number two, don't get cute. Turn around and go back. They will fire a, a ball, a, a cannonball, across their bow this close. The message is next time it's going to be lower. And God does the same thing with us sometimes. Sometimes He will give us a signal. You've gotten away from me. You're going in a direction which is not good. You're getting cute. And God loves us enough to give us a warning shot. You know? 
The hand of God is also seen in the ways in which he provides, as he used Joseph to save the lives not only of the people of the area, but also of the family of Jacob. It was the hand of God that elevated Joseph and gave him the interpretation of the dream, using to feed so many. As Joseph will say to his brothers in next week's Parsha, this is so hot, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Man, that's hot. Now, these brothers put him in the pit, but he realized, despite what they did, it was really God's purpose that was being fulfilled. He gets this subtle interplay between human freedom and human behavior, and yet God can accomplish his will, even through malicious brothers who are trying to kill their brother. Isn't that incredible? The Bible says he uses the wrath of men to praise him. God is not defeated. He can use the most scandalous means to accomplish his goodwill. That's incredible. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, master of his entire household, and ruler throughout the whole land of Egypt. That's chapter 45, verse 8. And in the partial that follows, that's next week, the one after that, Jacob dies, and the brothers are fearful that now that the old man is gone, Joseph is going to take revenge on them. And he says to them, be at peace. And this is why I just absolutely am in awe of Joseph. He says to them, although you intended me harm, God intended it for good in order, in order to accomplish as clear as day that vast people would be kept alive. He tells them, don't be afraid. This is true forgiveness, by the way. You want to know what forgiveness is? I, I wrote about this on my Facebook page, but I didn't draw the connection that I just realized here. This is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is relinquishing the right to take revenge when you have the power to do so. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is, when you, is, is that even when you have the power, or if you had the power to get even, you relinquish that right. That is forgiveness. Now, reconciliation is something else. You might forgive someone, and I was writing to a woman on Facebook who, she didn't go to the detail, but had been grievously injured by somebody. She's having trouble forgiving them. This is forgiveness. But reconciliation is the rebuilding of relationship. That may never happen. I was talking this weekend uh, to a relative of mine who is totally closing the door against a relative of hers. And she has very, very, very good reason to do it. I will eventually talk to her about forgiveness that put away, she, I don't think she wishes revenge, but reconciliation in this case will probably never happen. That's a different thing. At any rate, here we're seeing that the hand of God works in the glove of circumstance. There it is again. The hand of God works in the glove of circumstance, both for our chastisement and for our preservation. These two aspects of God's dealings come together as well in the New Testament. We read of Yeshua, our Messiah, that he is at the right hand of God until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. This right hand of God 
uh, Jewish theology talks about it. It talks about the right hand and the left hand of God. The right hand of God is God's hand of mercy. But later in the passage, we read of God's hands of judgment, not of mercy, but of judgment. Same passage, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, we read this. For if we willingly persist in sin after having received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying prospect of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume our adversaries, consume the adversaries. Anyone who has violated the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by those who have spurned the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified, and outraged the spirit of grace. For we know the one who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Who's that? That's God. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we've seen that the calamities of Joseph's brothers were, oh, sorry, the calamities were the hand of God. We've seen that they were also the hand of Joseph. There is no contradiction. None. God can use wicked people as his instruments. He used Assyria. They were the Nazis of that day. They were the cruelest, most vicious people. That's why Jonah did not want to go to them. And he used Assyria. Isaiah chapter 10. Assyria was the rod of God's anger to discipline Israel. He used these filthy people, idolatrous, cruel people, as his instrument. So he can accomplish his will through just about anyone. So we see Judaism speaks of the right hand and the left hand of God. It speaks of mercy and judgment. Jewish theology talks about the right hand and the left hand. The right hand is a metaphor for mercy to the left of judgment. Since God's justice is not flawed like human just justice, these are often thought to be in tension with one another, but still God is not unjust. There's God's judgment, judgment, and there's God's mercy. And we read about these things in Yom Kippur and, uh, and uh, Yom, uh, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, we look at the left hand of God. We think about judgment. Yom Kippur, we look at the right hand of God. We think of mercy. Okay, so let's see where we're going today. What shall we do with all of this? And thank you for hanging in with me on this, because this is a grown-up lesson. And uh, you're good. And this will do you good. So let's look. I've got six ideas I want to explore with you. And then there's a couple of quotes, and we're done. First of all, you need to ask yourself, when calamity strikes, could it be a sign? Uh, you need to ask yourself that question. Is God speaking to me through this? Now, some of you, like my friend Richard over here, Richard has got extraordinarily sensitive conscience. He will believe that everything bad that happens to him is God getting to him. It's not true. You need to protect yourself from that. Those of you with ultra-sensitive consciences, you need 
you need to realize that God is not vindictive. God gave his only son to die for you. The Bible says, he who spared not his son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give us everything? That's the kind of God we have. He's lavish. He's profligate. He's generous. He's kind. He's loving. He's sacrificial. But sometimes we get cute. And when we've gotten cute, sometimes God will send us a little message that says, and, uh, I thought of it yesterday, sometimes he'll grab us by the collar and say, hold it, hold it. You're going in the wrong direction. You've got to ask yourself that question. You owe it to yourself to ask that question. Number two, is, is the calamity a sign that God is trying to speak to me about something? You've got to ask it. But you've got to watch out for your own hypersensitive consciences and your own underestimation of the generosity and kindness and lovingness of God. Because Yeshua died and rose for us, we are safe in the presence of God. Uh, we, have boldness of conf- we have boldness of confidence and confidence of access through our faith in him, it says in Hebrews. We have boldness. We come into God's presence not kind of crouching, boldly and confident access. That's hot stuff. Isn't that right, Elijah? Okay. This kid's got a great name. His name is Elijah. Number two, when good, cons- when good things come your way, is that God's generosity to you? Think about thanking God when something happens. You know? I won't go into details, but I got a phone call this week about money. I've been praying about money because I, I have some expensive plans in mind. And from a totally unexpected source, I got a phone call, which if it proves true, it means quite a bit of money is coming my way that I never even knew existed anymore. So I have to ask myself, is this God? Yeah. It is. is it? it is. I prayed. I prayed about it. I prayed about it somewhat earnestly and pleadingly. And then a week or so later, shazam, something totally unexpected happens. Well, you've got to take the, take the time to say thank you. You understand? Believe that God is working in your life, and when good things happen, don't take it for granted. You understand? Take the chance that maybe you're thanking God needlessly. You know? That's a risk. That's a risk worth taking. Err on the side of thankfulness. That's not a bad idea. I got more. We should be the hands of God caring for others. Here's a quote from somebody in the 16th century. Rabbi Moses Isserl, he died in Krakow, Poland in 1572. He's the annotator of the Shulchan Aruch, which is a, a, a book which takes all of the commandments of Torah and works out all the nitty-gritty about what it means to obey them. It's a, it's a major work in Jewish thought. Now here's one of the things he said. He said, let man realize that he himself is forever seeking sustenance at the hand of God. 
And just as God always answers his prayer, so he should answer the prayer of the poor. In other words, if you are constantly asking God to be merciful to you, this is the, Yeshua tells a parable about this, then you should be an agent of mercy for other people. I've just been, I'll draw the connection. I've just been praying to God about money. A very serious concern. All of a sudden, money is coming my way. I don't know exactly how much. But I'm thankful. But also, when I meet a poor person who needs a buck, if I turn around and say, I can't be bothered, I don't have time for it, is that good? No. Is that gratitude? No. no. He's right. Yeshua said the same thing. We need to be the hands of God, caring for others. Could I hear amen? Amen. All right, number four. We should care enough for others to be God's hand or voice of warning and admonition. Sometimes your role is not to give money and not to help somebody that way, but if you see somebody who's wandering into, into, uh, into dangerous ways, you need to care enough about them to talk to them. Yeah. Now, of course, the more intimate your relationship with the person, the more likely they are to listen to you. If you're a stranger and you only see them once in a while and you have an opinion about them and you come up, a person without any pre- prior arrangement, any prior relationship, they don't expect them to say thank you. They're going to say this is none of your business. And they're right. In a sense, it is none of your business. You first need to build a relationship. Even when you're right, you need to build a bridge through which you can act. You understand? Therapists, and we have a therapist in the back. Our, 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 our cantor is a therapist. Therapists know they have to build a, a, they have to be a relationship of trust built with the client. Otherwise, even though the therapist is entirely right, if you don't have that relationship of trust, nothing happens. Okay? So, number five, we should realize that some things are already in our hands. We need not wait for God to act first or to enlist us, you know. Uh, we're going to have a party tonight. Uh, if the room is a mess, do you have to wait for God to speak to you to tell you to help to pick it up? Do you need a you need a voice? You need a voice from heaven. There are many things in life that are in our hands. Uh, Book of Nehemiah. I'm, going, I'm being a little long-winded today. Forgive me. But I think it's important. Book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a, um, he's a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Artaxerxes, it is at this time. And he hears that Jerusalem is in ruins. And uh, he, uh, he's devastated. He really cares. Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is an incredible book about spirituality and, uh, and about leadership. It's a great book. And he's devastated. And so he prays and he prays. And then he's standing in the presence of the king, which is his job, as a cupbearer. What a cupbearer did? To make sure the king was not being poisoned. Whenever a drink was presented to the king, the cupbearer drank from the cup. First, he was security agent. 
And uh, the king notices that Nehemiah is, is downcast. He notices, and he asks what the problem is. Nehemiah uh, says, the city uh, of my father's is in ruins, etc., etc. The king says, what can I do for you? At that point, Nehemiah tells him exactly what he needs. Nehemiah had already thought through what he needed. So when the king said, how can I help you? Nehemiah didn't say, I'll get back to you in a week. You know what I mean? He already, he already knew, and he's very explicit. That's competence. We don't have to wait for the voice of God or for God to send us a prophet or an angel for us to get down to the business of being competent. Capiche? Okay. All right. Uh, Capiche is Italian for fishtaste. Okay? Okay. Finally, Judaism wisely says everything is in the hands of God except the fear of God. That is our business. What does that mean? Um, It means that it's your business to walk in reverence for God. That's your responsibility. Everything is in the hands of God except the fear of God. We are responsible to walk with reverence and honor and respect in the presence of God. God holds us responsible for that. So what else we got? Here's another quote from Ismar Shoresh, who used to be the chancellor of Jewish Theological Seminary. I found this some time ago. And he was talking about the story of Joseph. And he says, Nor is what befalls us, even the most frightening of fates, without divine intention. The joy that flows from love detects the hand of God in everything, turning adversity into opportunity. A spark of light is embedded in every black hole that hurdles our way. So even if things are going bad for you, The love of God is in there somewhere. The Bible says God makes everything to work together for the good of those who love him. So may God give me, may God give my children, may God give my wife, may God give all of us the faith to believe that in the best of times and in the worst of times, God is still God and God is still good. Job, in talking to his wife, when she says, why don't you just curse God and die? Everything has gone, everything has disappeared. You know, you're, you're sitting there on the ground covered with boils, scraping yourself with potsherds. You used to be a rich and, 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 and impressive man. Now you're a nobody. Why don't you just curse God and God, die? And Job says, shall I receive good from the Lord and not evil? The Lord gave. The Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's so much more I have to say. I'm not prepared to say it, but this, I, I'm, what I'm saying is that this subject is so deep and important that there's much more that could be said, but not now. So let's just pray.
we've been talking about your hands, Father. Your hands which made the heavens and the earth. Your hands which put the stars in their places. Your hands which gave us your holy scripture, the holy Torah. Your hands which in the person of Yeshua were nailed to a Roman cross out of love for us and for the world. We don't begin to understand that. That's, that's way beyond our pay grade. We don't understand it, but help us not to forget it. Help us to look for your hand in the glove of circumstance, whether it's pleasant circumstance or unpleasant circumstance. Help us to, to believe that your hand could be in that glove. And help us to be willing agents, to be your hands in the world, helping the less fortunate and also admonishing those who need to heed your voice better. Help us. This is such a big lesson. And our understanding is so small. So by your spirit, help us to go beyond our meager capacities into greater fullness of your will. We ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. Okay.